0: Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McLarty.
1: Two weeks ago, we began the book of Jeremiah. We began working our way through the book of Jeremiah, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and then last week we were rudely interrupted by a leak. And so now we're beginning chapter two of the book of Jeremiah. Now so far, what we have learned is that Jeremiah, as a very young man, has been called to be a prophet by God, and he argued that he was a youth and that he wasn't able to go speak to kings on behalf of God, and God reprimanded him and said, that's not up to you, don't say I'm just a youth, whatever I tell you, go and tell that to the people, and they're going to resist you but don't be afraid of them because I'm going to be with you. So then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth and said, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down and to destroy and to overthrow, but then also to build and to plant. Now, starting in chapter 2 and for the next couple of chapters, God is going to lay out his case against Judah. The northern 10 tribes have already gone into captivity in Assyria, and God has repeatedly protected Judah, even though the Chaldeans are now rising up as the power in the Middle East during the early days here of Jeremiah's prophetic career. And he is about to tell the kings of Judah, the next successive four kings, that they are going to be vassals, that they are going to be taken into Chaldea, into Babylon, and that they are going to serve them there. And this is not a message that Judah wants to hear. And so Jeremiah starts, God through Jeremiah starts, by laying out his case by showing Judah why they are so guilty. Now repeatedly, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar have made encroachments into the southern kingdom, into Judah, and have even come right up to the gates of Jerusalem. And yet God always miraculously intervened and kept those armies from conquering Judah. And so God already has... A track record with them. He has already proven to them that he is going to care for them. He is going to protect them. And yet, they have gone and chased after other gods. And not only have they chased after other gods, they've chased after other nations. They've gone to other people, other human beings. Predominantly, they've gone and made leagues with Egypt. God's going to call them out for that here in Jeremiah 2. They have also made leagues with Assyria, the very nation that took their brothers into captivity. And so God is going to call them out again and say, why have you gone and made these agreements and leagues and trusted in other people, other armies? When I am your God, I will protect you. I have already demonstrated that I have chosen you and that I'm going to care for you. And so the language that God is going to use here in Jeremiah 2 is one of relationship, of love, of courtship, of marriage, so that he can yet again identify Judah as an erring, unfaithful wife. And the language that he's going to use is, I remember when we were in love. I remember our courtship, and I remember when you told me that you were going to do what I said, and yet you've departed from me. And then he's also going to say, now look around yourself. Look to the east, look to the west, and see if there's any other nation, especially among Gentile nations, heathen nations. Is there any nation anywhere that has ever done what you are doing where you are exchanging a God who has already proven himself to you, you're exchanging him for a God that isn't. Has anybody else ever been that dumb? Has anybody else ever done that? So God is really calling them into account here. And as I said, the next couple of chapters are going to continue this theme, but we'll be doing well to get through chapter 2 tonight. Chapter 2 starts, now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah speaking, saying, go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord. So here's this very young man, young enough that he's arguing, I can't do this. And yet he's being told to go into Jerusalem to the king, to Josiah, and pronouncing judgment on God's behalf and pronouncing the unfaithfulness of Judah to their God. Go and say this to them. I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth. That word devotion can also be translated the loving kindness of your youth. And I remember the love of your betrothals. When he brought them out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai, when he gave Israel his law. Do you remember that they said to Moses, all that God has said we're going to do, we're going to follow him. He's providing for us. He's given us bread. He's given us water out of a rock. He's delivered us out of Egypt. And yet very early on, they started saying, you know, I kind of hate this light bread. And I wish we could go back and eat the leeks and onions there in Egypt. It was better for us in Egypt. Also, when they ran out of water, when they were by Meribah, they ended up complaining and murmuring against God. And he ended up giving them water out of a rock. And so very early on, they started showing these tendencies of being a complaining wife. But he says, I remember how this began. When I gathered you in Egypt, and I brought you by a mighty hand through the Red Sea and brought you out here and cared for you in the wilderness and promised you a land of milk and honey, you loved me. And I remember the loving kindness and your devotion that you had in your youth. When we were just betrothed to each other before we were even married, I remember the love of your betrothals. I remember your following after me in the wilderness. Through a land that is not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord. That word holy means you were separate. Out of all the nations of the earth, I chose you. You were different than all the other nations. I made covenants with you. I gave you covenant signs that would identify you as a separate and a peculiar people. Israel was a separate holy nation to the Lord. You were the first of his harvest, and all who ate of it became guilty. They knew what the first fruit offering was. The first fruit had to go to God, and anybody who ate their first fruit offering was held guilty by God. And he's saying, you are my first fruit. And likewise, any nation that would come against you, that would devour you, any nation that would eat you, I'll hold them guilty, because that's the rule of the first fruit offering. You were the first of his harvest, and all who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of Yahweh, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says Yahweh, what injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? I mean, after all, if I've done nothing but good to you and then you turned on me, tell me what I did. Was there some injustice? Did I treat you badly? Did I treat you in some way where you can judge me? Tell me what it is. Explain this to me, says God. Explain to me what unfairness, what injustice I'm guilty of. What injustice did your fathers find in me so that they would then leave me, depart from me, go far from me? Where did they end up when they went away from God? They didn't go away from God and improve They went away from Yahweh and became empty, became vain, became vacuous. Verse 6, and they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt? That's what they should have been saying. They should have been saying, where is God? I can turn to God. I can trust Yahweh despite our circumstances. That's not what they said. Who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? Who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into this land of milk and honey. I brought you into a fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things. But you came. And you defiled my land. Notice that God refers to the land of Canaan, Israel, Jerusalem, the place where he chose to place his own name. He refers to that as my land. You are residents on my land. And through your corruption, through your sinfulness, through your depravity, you are corrupting land that belongs to me. And after all, I am a holy God. And this is my set apart land And you are defiling my land. And you are defiling my inheritance. And you made it an abomination. You made my land abominable. Now, it's going to be real difficult for me, as we continue through this judgment of God, it's going to be real difficult not to contextualize it and say, you know, this warning suits the day and age in which we're living this warning could just as easily be said about America. And yet, as you hear these words, I'm going to leave it up to you to kind of apply it to the society that we live in. The whole earth, everything on it was made by the maker of heaven and earth. And when he made it, he said, it's good. It's good, it's good. Everything I'm making for six days, it's all good. And then human beings got on it and corrupted it and have defiled it. And that defiling and that corruption seems to be reaching sort of a zenith right now, where everything seems stupid, where everything seems backwards and upside down. We live in clown world these days. And I think God would be just as within his rights to say to us. Why have you corrupted this land that I've given you? Why have you taken that which I created as good, and why are you continuing to defile it and turn it into an abomination? Some of the leading causes in our society right now, the things that our government is fighting for most adamantly, are the very things that the Bible says are an abomination against God. And those very abominations of the things that we're celebrating, having parades, having a whole month for. I, I won't have to fill in that blank, I hope. My inheritance you made into an abomination. The priests, the religious leaders, the ones who should be teaching you how to walk in the ways and the laws of God, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Where is Yahweh? And those who handle the law did not know me, did not have relationship with me. And they're the ones who are supposed to be leading you. Those are your religious authorities. Not only are they not looking for me, they don't even know me. And your rulers, your kings, your judges, also sin transgressed against me. And the prophets who are supposed to be the ones who hear from God and then speak to God's people. And I have to point out at this point, remember, this is a young boy talking. This is a young fellow having to go before the king and the leaders in Jerusalem and say, you know all your prophets, the ones you're listening to, the ones that are leading you right now? They're lying to you, all of them. I'm the only one telling the truth. Can you see why he had a hard time getting a hearing? He says, the prophets, who should be prophesying for God, prophesied by Baal, and they walked after the things that did not profit. Therefore, says God, I will fight with you. I will contend. I will argue against you, declares the Lord. And with your sons, sons I will contend cross over to the coastlands of Kittim that would be Cyprus and the islands around Cyprus and also go and see and send to Kedar and observe closely Kedar. that's the northern Arabian desert so basically what he's saying is look to the west, that would take you to Cyprus look to the east, that's going to take you to Kadar look both ways and see if there has ever been such a thing as this Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? I mean, what a silly thing. What a foolish thing. You would think that anybody with some modicum of good sense would say, okay, now we have this God who has proven himself. We have this God who has given us bread from heaven, parted the Red Sea, given us a land of milk and honey just like he promised us the same God who has protected us from our enemies, even protected us from the wild animals. Let's go get ourselves a different God. Let's build something of stone, something of metal. Let's bow ourselves down to the creation of our own hands. Or let's go make a deal with Egypt, and maybe we'll worship their gods. Let's go to Assyria. Let's worship their gods. And God is saying those gods, those heathen gods, are not gods And yet you've traded in me, the real provable, demonstrable God, for something that is not a God. Has anybody ever done this? Go and check. Go look. Head east, head west. Has any heathen been as dumb as you and said, you know, this God, I'm tired of him. Let's go get something else. Has a nation changed God's? When they were not gods, but my people, Israel, have changed their glory for that which does not do them any profit. Can you hear the illogic of it? God is just saying, how can this be the way you're acting? You've chased after other gods that are not gods, and then you've changed The glory that I once gave you, you were once under David, under Solomon, you were the leading city here in the Mideast. I've proven to you that I can make you rich, I can make you powerful, I can protect your armies. I've proven that I can give you wisdom, that I can give you laws, that I can separate you from all the other nations on the planet. I've demonstrated that to you, and yet you went and traded that glory made yourselves a harlot instead, have become a laughingstock instead, and now you're chasing that that is no profit to you whatsoever. That, that just doesn't even make sense. So, verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder, and be very desolate, declares the Lord. He's declaring that there are going to be consequences for the disobedience of Israel. I guess I could add, parenthetically, there are going to be consequences for the disobedience of people here in America. There, make your own application. Be appalled by this, O heavens. Shudder, be very desolate, for my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me. Now notice the particular designation that God's going to give himself here. I am the fountain of living waters. So he's identifying himself as the one that gives life-giving water. He is the source of life and sustenance. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, so that they can hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. They've turned away from me the fountain of living water and then made for themselves pots that they could carry their own water in that are cracked, that can't hold water. And that's what they've traded. They've traded in life through me for their own works, for their own hands, for their own efforts, which are cracked and leaking and cannot sustain them again utterly illogical they hew for themselves cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water is israel a slave or is he a home-born servant no god refers to him as my son my chosen, my elect, my people. And he says, is Israel a slave? Or is he a a servant born in someone's household? Then why has he become a prey? Why have I allowed the northern tribes to go into Assyria? Why have I allowed enemy nations to conquer my own people? And the answer he's laying out here, his defense is, It's their fault. You've turned away from me. Had you stayed with me, I would have continued protecting you and providing for you. I am, after all, the source of living water. And you decided you want the work of your own hands, which is nothing but pointless and leaky and cannot hold water. And though you're not a slave, and though you're not a home-born servant, you've now become a prey and the young lions have roared at you they have roared loudly and they have made his land a waste his cities have become destroyed without inhabitant interesting by the way of all the animals that god could have chosen that he went with lions and nebuchadnezzar's emblem nebuchadnezzar's throne was lined with lions, and God knows that he's about to turn Judah over to Nebuchadnezzar and to the Chaldeans, so real interesting here that he didn't go with tiger or that he didn't go with some other animal, he said the lions are roaring against you, they're roaring loudly, and they have made his land a waste, his cities have been destroyed without inhabitant. Okay, so that's what happened in the north. That's what happened to the northern kingdoms. That's what happened to Assyria. Their land has been destroyed, and it lays waste. And then he turns to Egypt and says, also the men of Memphis. That's not, hello, information. Give me Memphis. That's not that Memphis. He's talking about southern Egypt here. And all the men of Memphis and Tapanes, which is also a city in southern Egypt, they have shaved the crown of your head. Shaving someone's head, the crown of their head, was a way of showing that they were under subjection to you and that they were being shamed by you, especially if they shaved off your beard. And so God is saying, people have overtaken you, the very same people that you trusted in, the very same people that you made leagues with, are the very same people who are out to destroy you and you should have just turned to me I would have cared for you also the men of Memphis and Tapanes have shaved the crown of your head have you not done this to yourself by your forsaking the Lord your God Yahweh your Elohim when he led you in the way you have forsaken the Lord God, and he was the one that was leading you all the way here, who brought you to this land of milk and honey, who has demonstrated himself, and yet you've turned from him. But now, what are you doing on the road to Egypt? What an interesting question. God sees the emissaries from Jerusalem going down to Egypt, and he say, what are you What are you doing? I delivered you from Egypt. Egypt is not your friend. And you're down there trying to make alliances with Egypt so that you can defend yourselves against the encroachments of Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans from Babylon, who are growing in power now in the Middle East and filling that vacuum that was left by the fall of Assyria. What are you doing going to them? Now, what are you doing on the road to Egypt? to drink the waters of the Nile. Remember a moment ago he said, I'm the fountain of living water. And now you're going looking for water. And you're going to Egypt to drink out of the Nile? And what are you doing on the road to Assyria? Those are the very same people who have taken your brothers into captivity. But in order to save your own neck, you're willing to send emissaries up to Assyria again to try to make agreements so that you can collectively fight against Babylon. But what are you doing in Assyria? Are you there to drink the waters of the Euphrates? I'm the water. I'm the living water. And you're searching for water everywhere else. Verse 19. Your own wickedness will correct you, and your apostasies will reprove you. Know, therefore, And see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake Yahweh your Elohim, the Lord your God. And the fear of me, the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. Okay, the God of hosts. I mean, it's the God of heaven and earth. That's the one who all the angelic creatures bow to. He is the Lord's Sabaoth. He's in charge of the armies of heaven and the armies of the earth. And you don't fear me. And you ought to have a healthy dread of me. What did we learn in the Proverbs? That the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And he said, you have no dread of me, and I'm the very one who is responsible for your well-being. I am the fount of living water. I'm the one who brought you into this land. I'm the one who protected and preserved you, and yet you have no respect for me, no reverence, no worship for me. The dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. For long ago, I broke your yoke, He's talking about the deliverance out of Egypt, and I tore off your bonds, and you said, I will not serve. So here's God who broke the bonds off them, brought them out of their slavery, and their response was, instead of serving and fearing God, their response was, well, then I rebel against everything and everyone. And you said, I will not serve, for on every high hill and under every green tree you have laid down as a harlot. Okay. Now that reference to every green tree and every high hill are all the places where they were worshipping Ashtorea, where they were worshipping their baals. And so God here again, we've seen this so often in the Old Testament, God here again is likening their worship of foreign gods to harlotry. And he knows what he's saying. Emotionally, there's nothing more devastating than to find out that your wife, the wife of your youth, your beloved wife, is out committing whoredoms. And that's what he likens his relationship with, with Israel. I loved you. I betrothed myself to you. I made promises to you. And yet here you are worshiping other gods on every high hill and under every green tree. You've laid down with them like a harlot. And yet I planted you to be a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? So God just creates these analogies one after another where he says I I took you to be a faithful wife you were unfaithful I planted you to be a choice vine and bear good fruit and yet you have corrupted yourself I brought you into the land to be my free people my sons and daughters and instead you're going to end up being slaves you're going to end up yet again under the yoke of bondage Verse 22 is the natural reaction, and to this very day, it is the natural religious reaction that all human beings have because we are just legalists by nature. And when we hear that God is angry with us, when we hear about our failures before God, far too often our response is, well, then I'll get busy and clean myself up. And that's been going on ever since Adam and Eve They realized they were naked, started sewing together fig leaves, and figured they could cover up their own nakedness. Well, here's exactly what Israel is going to do. They're also then going to try to cover over their own sins, cover their own stain. Verse 22, although you wash yourselves with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity remains before me, declares the Lord God. You can't clean yourself up enough to make yourself clean before a righteous, holy God. I keep saying it and saying it and saying it. And I'm going to say it now again, because you can't stop me. I got the microphone. You can't fix you because you are your problem. So you can't be the solution to your problem. And so many times in the Bible, we see this same thing where human beings Recognizing their own sinfulness, their own depravity, their own iniquities before God, assume that the answer is them. And they got to get busy and they got to clean themselves up and they got to fix themselves. And here God declares plainly there's not enough soap, there's not enough lie to clean out the stain of your iniquity that is before me. That's why Isaiah says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. If God cleans you up, then those scarlet stained sins are actually going to be clean. But as long as it's up to you and you keep trying to do it, you're just making empty cisterns that can't hold water and ignoring the source of all life-giving water. That's just illogical, and that's why God is continuing to say, what are you thinking How can you say, verse 23, how can you say, I am not defiled. I have not gone after the bales"? Look at your way in the valley and know what you have done. That's the other thing people do when confronted with their own sinfulness. When confronted with their own guilt, they say, no, <laughs> no, I didn't do that. No, I'm not as bad as that guy. No, I must be pretty good. He says, how how can you claim that you're not defiled? How can you claim that you didn't really commit your harlotries and you didn't go after your bales? I've seen you. You were down in the valleys. You were up on the mountains. You were under every green tree worshiping your gods. And I know what you have done. And you are a swift young camel entangled in her ways. You are a wild donkey accustomed to the wilderness that sniffs the wind in her passion. And This is very interesting language and very poignant again. In the time of her heat, who can turn her away? In other words, for any of you who have raised animals, especially donkeys, when they're in heat, even dogs, when they're in heat, uh, they really only want to do one thing. And you can't turn them away from that. In the time of her heat, who can turn her away? All who seek her will become weary. They're just going to wear themselves out trying to get to her, which happens with donkeys in heat. They're going to wear themselves out in her month. They will find her. So how do you say you're not depraved? You're like a donkey in heat. That's God talking. He's very graphic sometimes. But he's very descriptive and very accurate. Verse 25, keep your feet from being unshod, keep your throat from thirst. But you said, it is hopeless. No, I have loved strangers, and after them I will walk. In other words, I should do what I want to do because I want to do it. I really crave it. I really want it. And that's your argument? That's your defense for yourself? It's hopeless. No, I have loved the strangers, and after them, I'm going to walk. So God is again holding them guilty by saying, you continue in your depravity by virtue of the fact that you want to do it. Does any of this sound familiar, again, to the day and age in which we live? People are doing all kinds of depraved things, abominations against God, and they do it because they want to. And they love it. And after all, if we've been told once, we've been told a million times that love wins. And so since they love it, that's their defense to keep doing it. Even though God says it's abominable, they say, I know it's an abomination, but I can't help it. I was born this way. Sing it. Come on. Oh, never mind. It is hopeless. No, I have loved strangers, and after them I will walk. But you've been discovered, says verse 26. As the thief is shamed when he is discovered, so the house of Israel is shamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree... They've, these idols that they have cut out for themselves by their own hands, which God says is still a tree. I don't care how pretty you made it or if you carved a face in it. You say to a tree, You are my father. And you say to a stone, You gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not turned their face to me. But in the time of their trouble, They will say, arise and save us. Boy, isn't that typical of humans. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to form my own gods. I'm going to have my own opinions. I don't care about the law of God or the standards of God. I'm going to do what I want to do all the time. You have cancer. Oh, God, help me. Oh, you mean that same God that you've been denying your whole life? Now you're going to cry out to him? God isn't fooled. He's not tricked. He knows that. And Israel did the same thing. Whenever they were in trouble from their enemies, they cried out to God, and God would deliver them. That's the whole history of Israel. Then they'd get fat and happy again, and a generation would go by, and then they would go back to worshiping their foreign gods, and then God would bring down another enemy on them, and then they'd cry out to God again, and then God would deliver them. That's the history of Israel. But it's not fooling God. God says, but at the time of your trouble, then you're going to say, arise and save us. And now God mocks them and says, but where are your gods which you made for yourself? Where's that tree? Where's that stone? Where's that God you made? Can't he deliver you? If he was so great that you bowed down and worshiped him, let them arise if they can save you. In the time of trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. You have so many that in every city you have different gods. You have one God. That's the Shema. The Lord our God, he is one God. The God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth is the one God. And he says you have a multiplicity of gods. You have numerous gods. According to the number of your cities, are your gods, O Judah? Why do you fight with me? Why do you contend with me? You have all transgressed against me, declares the Lord. In vain, I have struck your sons. In other words, Remember the armies I brought down on you? Remember the punishments that I brought down on you? Remember the plagues that I brought on you? Remember the many times I have corrected you? That was all in vain because you're still rebellious and you still won't listen. In vain I have struck your sons. They accepted no chastening, no correction. And your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion O generation, he's talking to Israel here, using the word generation properly to designate a people group, people of a common heritage, O generation, heed the word of Yahweh, have I been a wilderness to Israel? Have I been a land of thick darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam? We will come no more to you. And God says, But can you really forget? Can a virgin forget her ornaments? Or a bride her attire? Here we'll check and see. April, do you have any idea what your wedding dress looked like? Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember how you were dressed for your wedding? Did you get your hair done? Do you remember what your hair looked like? Yeah. Someone do your makeup? Do you do your makeup? Yeah. Remember what that looked like? Micah, was she looking good? Yeah. You can't forget that stuff. And so God is saying, You can't help but remember that I've been good to you, that I betrothed you, that I loved you. You try to avoid me, you run from me, but you can't forget me. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride forget her attire? And yet my people have forgotten me these days without number. How well you prepare your way to go and seek illicit love. It just says to seek love. He's saying you go out and look for your lovers rather than looking for me. Therefore, even the wicked women, you have taught your ways. That's pretty bad. When you're so bad that you can teach the wicked women a thing or two, you're doing pretty bad. So he is saying, your whoredoms, your harlotries against me are so bad that even the professional harlots could learn a thing or two from you. Verse 34. Also on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. And you did not find them breaking in. In other words, they were innocent. You didn't find them trying to rob you. You didn't find them committing a crime against you. And yet you judged them. Yet you killed them. Yet you took advantage of them. And I see it all. I see the lifeblood of the innocent poor on your clothes, on your skirts. And you didn't find them doing any crime against you. They weren't breaking in. But in spite of all these things, yet you said, I'm innocent. Surely, his anger is turned away from me. Self-justification is a built-in human characteristic. You do it from the time you're a kid. You and your brother or sister are playing in the living room. Somebody throws a ball, a lamp gets broken. Mom and dad say, who broke this lamp? I don't know. I wasn't here. He did it. They did it. Self-justification instantly. I wasn't in the room when that happened. I heard it, and I came running in to see what that was. I got here just ahead of you. Am I right, Jeff? The kids, the grandkids, they're all doing it because self-justification is automatic in our egocentric brains from the time we're born. And God has just said, you're guilty. I can see the lifeblood of the poor on your clothes. And in spite of all that evidence, you say, no, not me. I'm innocent. And surely the anger of God has turned away from me. Behold, I will not enter into judgment with God. Because you say, I have not sinned. God has just gotten... Done laying out his case against them and shown the enormity of their sin and yet they in their delusion have thought I'm probably pretty good with God I haven't sinned I haven't done that much bad does that sound familiar? any of us heard ourselves say that? I'm not that I'm not Hitler why do you go around so much changing your way also You shall be put to shame by Egypt as you were put to shame by Assyria. So now he's laying it out. You've gone to Egypt. You've gone to Assyria. You were looking to drink out of the Nile or out of the river Euphrates. And yet you wouldn't turn to me. And I'm telling you, they're not your friends. They're your enemies. And you're going to be put to shame by both of them. I would never put you to shame. I would protect you. I would preserve you. I would provide for you food and water. But instead, you're looking for men to deliver you instead of me. And I'm telling you, they're going to put you to shame. Why do you go around so much making all these different deals with all these different people? You're not consistent. You're not faithful to any of your deals. Why do you keep changing your way? And also, you shall be put to shame by Egypt. As you were put to shame by Assyria. And from this place also you shall go out with your hands on your head. Captives. And you're going to go to Chaldea. You're going to go to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer this city. God knows all that's coming. He knows what he's going to do. And so he is proclaiming through Jeremiah that in this very place, from Jerusalem, you're going to go out of here, and you're going to be slaves with your hands on your head. Why? For Yahweh has rejected those in whom you trust. You trust in Assyria. You trust in Egypt. I've rejected them both. As a consequence, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to make you slaves. And you're going to go into captivity. For the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust, and you shall not prosper with them. You're not going to win the war with them. You're not going to conquer with them. You're not going to be safe with them. You're not going to be protected with them. You're not going to prosper with them. And then God, rather ominously, has said, And I'm not going to protect you either. You're going to be slaves. And your gods aren't going to protect you. And your covenants and your agreements that you have made with the Egyptians, with the Assyrians, that's not going to protect you. Nothing can protect you from the wrath of God when he decides that it's time to judge. Did I mention America? Okay, I meant to. I mean, the time is coming, the day is coming when God is going to have to judge The sin on this planet, the sin of people, who he has blessed astoundingly. And yet they turn away from him. Yet they chase after their own ways, justify themselves, and say, I have not sinned. Because people are people. Whether it's Israel back in the times of Jeremiah and Judah being taken out of their land and going into Babylon, or whether it's human beings to this very day, our character, our nature, our depravity is the same cry out to God when we're in trouble, we accept his blessings, and then we start thinking that he blessed us because, dig us, we're good, we're cool, we're the great ones, and then we go our own way, we do our own thing, and then God judges us and we're bewildered by it, why are we being judged? So... That is Jeremiah 2. We're very early in the book of Jeremiah, and here's this young man having to go to the kings of Judah and saying, judgment's coming, and it's going to continue into the next chapter, and God is going to lay out his case, and it's a really convincing, irrefutable case that his people have turned their back on him, and he's going to judge them accordingly. Any questions about that? it's a good lesson for the first wednesday of june and in that way it's kind of nice that we had a little see now you had to go there didn't you yes i did yeah that <laughs> that's a good message for the beginning of pride month there i i filled in your blank Wait. i know i said it be careful america remember the god you're dealing with anything else all right then good